top of the pews. Some people think I must make a disclaimer before I get started today that uh, hold on, be prepared. We never know what's going to happen. I'll be honest, I walked away from that and I walked, you know, was doing the thing after church uh, fellowship. And I don't remember if it was somebody here came to me, one of the guys, of course, men like that kind of stuff, uh, and said, wow. That was awesome when you went across the top. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I went across the top of the pews. And I, I thought, I can't believe I hardly remember that. And I thought, I can't believe I don't remember where my foot was planted. And I begin to think about some people here and thought, wonder what they think of me. I'm just literally nuts. But I, I have to admit, if I run across the top of the pews today or if I try to swing from a speaker uh, if I do any of that, how many of you know I didn't miss a beat that day? And I stepped right over every pew, didn't I? And I just parted the people, and I headed back there. If you know me, I'm just whatever little bit I do know, or I live for, or I believe in, I just fully believe in it. I'm not really a sports fan. I'm not really into electronics, Facebook, Twittering, tweeting, uh, texting. I mean, I text like crazy. It's a good way to contact people and tell them they don't have to call you right away, you know, save it for later. But uh, so I'm kind of kind of old fashioned in some ways. But what I believe in, I believe in. And, and, and if I go to run across something today and I fall and hurt myself, leave me there. <laughs> because I will tell you one thing. It was not God that did it. It's just kind of how I believe. I mean, after that was over, I thought, my gosh, I I know I'm very adamant and passionate about things I believe in, but I just can't believe I did that. And I said, God, you know what? That just had to be you. And I think I try to search for my purpose. We all, I think part of my message today will be we, talking about shout. We all want to live a life that shouts. Don't take this to think I mean. Just take it. And think about it and chew on it. Like the old timers used to say, put it in your cud and chew on it for a while. If you don't want to live a life that has some shout, you're probably dead. If you don't want to live a life that has somewhat of... Everything we do may not appear to be greatly significant. One of the greatest struggles I have with is somebody says, Man, you were awesome today. You were awesome. Worship was awesome. Man, when you shared it was awesome. No, no. And I'm thinking, my first thought that comes to my mind, I'm thinking, but I want you to get that for yourself. And God has called me right here, right now, at this time, for the purpose that I'm doing to do, and part of it is to cheerlead you on, to rah-rah you on, to stir you up, to make you not feel comfortable, to show you that it's, we should be more passionate about the things of God, about the church of Christ, than we should about anything else. And if you're not, hit your knees and pray. And that's probably the end of my message. I could let you go home early and we could get something. I've heard men, grown men, say, I hate what I'm doing, but I don't know what to do. Oh, I would tell you this. I have been there w once or twice in my life where I had a great struggle that I really didn't think I was doing anything I was supposed to be doing. I thought everything inside of me was dead, and I was struggling with it, and it made me want to be dead. But I dug deeper. I went after God harder. I denied my flesh more. Until I got to that place that I can remember certain places that God always stops me on a country road by certain fence posts, always. There's two in particular I could take you to and show you right where God stopped me and told me certain things. And it changed the direction of my life. And I want today, I want you to say, man, he kind of made me mad with what he said. Or he's really right with what he said. And it's made me come to the place that I need to search myself and... and, and Make a change. Aaron gave us something yesterday. I wish I would have brought it in here. Um, but one of the things says we can't continue doing what we're doing and expect a different outcome. And so today, my message on shout is something I'm very familiar with, Ezra chapter 3. I know you think, how does this guy get nervous? He does this every weekend. How does he get nervous? Oh, preaching makes me nervous. I just like it spontaneous like it happened that 
Sunday, and singing at weddings makes me very nervous at funerals. Oh, please, don't schedule me in when you die. Uh, <laughs> it's a great ministry opportunity, I will tell you that. When it's over and you've, people have cried and they've come close to the Lord, it's a, it's a great ministry opportunity. Uh, but man, it's, it makes me nervous. Ezra, we're going to read in Ezra. Let's start in chapter 1. We're going to wind up in 3, around 8 and 10. I did like preachers do. I really, I did some research. I searched some history out. You know, they always want to start way back before and then move up. My wife said, don't go over. Well, I already got started late. Somebody else went over, so bear with me. I'm not going to go over. But uh, I don't know about you, but for me, it's probably because I'm a high D. If you've never taken a personality profile, you need to, the D-I-S-C, I'm a high D. The first time I took it, me and Leah were not married. We were planning on getting married. She wanted to take marriage counseling with Eric, and I thought, marriage counseling, they don't do that at my church. They just sit down, you have a little talk with the pastor there for 20 minutes, and then he marries you. I'm thinking, what's this guy going to do? I'm still in my work clothes. I drive an hour and a half from Xenia, Ohio to here on a work day, evening after I've worked, laid block all day, and been screamed at and cussed at, an apprentice, treated like a dog, and I come here. We sit down, 100 questions. I said, I've got to answer 100 questions to get married. I mean, I'm going to be real honest. That's what I thought. I heard Eric preach and been to the church. I thought, man, they're probably going to tell us we're not fit for one another. And they're going to call this thing off. And this is going to be one construction working dude that's going to be irate and tear a new hole in this preacher's wall. But no, I I didn't think that much. But uh, (laughs) my wife says I embellish too much. Uh, I kind of think it's all right if it makes people laugh a little bit, you know. But uh, anyways, uh, he did this thing, and after it was done, 100 questions. Answer them as fast as you can. Don't think. Just answer them, answer them. He looked at me, and he said, you're competitive. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. I said, you can't say that. You don't even know me. He said, what if I can't? I tell you, you cannot do something, and you think you can do it. I said, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it real well, and I'm going to show you how I do it. And once I learn it, I'm going to beat the guy next to me doing it, okay? (laughs) Until I realize I can't always do that. I'm not the fastest bricklayer. I never was. And uh, I'm a good, clean bricklayer. But uh, uh, so I'm a D. So accomplishing task, knowing what I'm called to do, operating in it, having time to do it, And doing it very well is very, very important to me. I'm a D to where there's a line here. My line goes D, it goes I, it goes S, and it goes C. Nothing else comes above that line, gets close to it. I'm just a D. I just want to accomplish tasks, make things happen. And when I don't finish, I get upset. So uh, today our story is about Ezra. First thing I did when Aaron said we were going to do a series on Shout... Like like this guy does, I go to my uh, Bible concordance, I type in shout. Where'd they shout at in the Bible? Let's talk about shout. And I thought, well, I'm a worship leader. I should explain all the dynamics of the shout. I can go back and grab some Jack Hayford stuff that I have and study that about shouting and call you down when you do it at the wrong time, but I wouldn't do that. And uh, some of you know what I mean. And uh, <laughs> I've seen him call people down during worship services for that. But um, So I put in shout and I started looking and I come up with uh, Ezra 3 Uh, but the history and and you'll see why it hit home with me working accomplishing tasks making things happen finding your part in doing what you do when when I led masonry crews and I get to know guys man when I would find out you know what these two guys here flat can smoke you put one on the other end and you put the other one let them build the leads they're going to not only build those leads but they're going to come off those leads and they're going to push the guys in between them so I'm going to put a couple guys in between them that kind of need pushed on that like to talk, that like to do something else, that don't like to pay attention. And these two mouthy, mean guys are going to aggravate them all day, and they're going to lay brick and block, and it's going to be wonderful. So I'd put Jim on one side, Hoggy on the other, and I'd put a couple other guys that can be fast but need prodded on, and I'd put them together, and we'd have a good crew. The boss says, you take these guys over here, you build that gym, and that's what you do, and you find out who's best. And that's what I would do. And then when it's time for the brick uh, to start on the building, uh, he would say, look, uh, 
Here's a set of prints. Take them home and study them for the next couple of weeks. You're going to start to brick here in a couple of weeks. And when you do, he said, I'm going to give you whatever guy that you want. Any guy you want. You build your crew. You tell me if you need more, we'll call the hall and get them. You tell me if it's not working, I'll help you. He said, and don't you hold, hold off one bit of coming and getting me if you have a question. And I'm telling you right now, for four years I did that. That man used more drugs. He drank more. He talked more filthy than anybody I'd ever met in my life. But if I had to, I would have ran from Massiville to build Waverly Schools. I would have ran. I would have hitchhiked to work. I would have got up two hours early and hitchhiked if I had to to get to work with this guy because I came alive for once in my life. I found something that not just getting on the wall and building, but I got to use my brain and look at prints, and, and, and I came alive, and I flat loved it. And I miss that at times. I really do. I've been sweeping, cleaning, doing very menial. You're going to hear this word today, menial tasks, wipe, cleaning windows for a boss that's not quite as bright as you and doesn't have the experience that you do and clean windows for two weeks, ten hours straight, all day long. Susie Homemaker. And my boss couldn't spell task. But how many of you know God was working in me? We used to sing an old song. Little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it. If you'll go in Jesus' name. I asked for that job. I got it. I felt like God led me there. A phone call was made to invite me back. First, They denied my first interview. And eight months later, they called me back again. I can't believe they kept my application. But I really felt like it was God's timing. I really did. I walked away from a bricklaying career of 15 years and walked right into a job for one of the best general contracting companies I'd ever worked with we did a lot of their masonry work and i've been there for two years now i've done a lot of menial tasks sweet floors for days on end uh sometimes they didn't have things for you to do so there was nothing for you to do and you're talking to a guy that ordered semi truckloads of block and brick a day where i told him you just keep those 12 inch and 8 inch block coming until i tell you not to and every monday i want a semi truckload of mortar and i want some uh cmex for my cement mix i want that every week i need it don't you stop until I call you and tell you to stop. And things just pow, pow. How many did we put in today? 4,000. How many guys we got? We got 20 guys. Oh, my gosh. We're just going. We're going. And that was the kind of life I lived. I'd get to work a half hour early. I'd stay a half hour late for free. And now I'm down to doing menial tasks for a job that I asked for. Let me tell you today, you may hate where you're at, but you filled out the application. You asked for it. You said, I do. I will, and you have to until he says otherwise. I'm sick and tired. I'll tell you this. I'm tired. I'm up to here with people that just don't go to church here anymore because we want this or we want that. It's in my family. I've got a dear, beloved family member. I'm looking for what suits me best, they said. There's one side of me that says, well, I hope when you get to hell you find what you want. Listen, we serve somebody who hung on a cross, stood in our place, and died for our sins. Not for our prosperity here, but for our life in eternity. He is our Lord and Savior. We die to Him. We don't do anything else. We don't do what we want. You say, Patrick, that's rough preaching. Well, I hope one thing. I hope that these people have got on their knees and in fear and trembling what the Bible says before God have worked out their own salvation. Because if we're self-pleasers, we're, we're going to be miserable. You'll always be searching. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, you too said. Millions of love songs have been wrote about love that you'll never find. Let me tell you, your spouse will not. I've said it. Give it. Your employer won't get it. Your job ultimately won't get it. There'll always be something else you'll be searching for. We have, as the body of Christ, a task before us. It's to build the kingdom of God. All of us have a place. We've all been called. God is waiting for us to rightly take our place, to get in it, to get nowhere else, not to worry about the right, not to worry about the left, but get in what you're called to do. Whether you're one, getting ahead of myself, whether you have the plans to do it, you're a leader, or you help fulfill the plans, or you're one standing on the outside, these are the ones I worry about, wondering what the heck the plan is. 
It bothers me when I hear somebody says, I didn't know that was going on. I didn't know this. We live in a day and an age. You have no reason to not know what's going on in this church. We've got a website. I don't have a computer. Call your friend that does. You should be in a small group. And I guarantee you, in your small group, the majority of them have the Internet. Call one of them. Find out. I didn't get a bulletin. That's your fault. Ooh, this hard preaching. Well, they won't ask me again, maybe. Let me tell you, we've got a task to accomplish, and I'm sorry. I don't have time to do my job and yours. You were a little rough when you did offering a while back, Drew. Everybody said, man, Drew did a great job. I said, he did, but he wasn't scared, was he? We had this term at work, I'm not scared, I'm not scared. Got guys that are job scared, and they will flat do whatever. They will say whatever they need to say in front of a boss and then cuss him behind his back. I watched a guy literally call our boss every name in the book. Every name in the book. I'd like to choke the no good. Next thing you know, the boss sits down beside him. I think we've got this plan for you to go do. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can take care of that. There's no problem with getting that done, buddy. Me and him will do it. And the boss walked, and God's called me to a place. When the boss walked away, I said, wasn't like that a few minutes ago, old buddy. You a Christian? I didn't do it in front of everybody. I said, you a Christian? You're a Christian. God didn't call you to be like that, man. Don't mess your life up. And you know what happens? My boss, I found out yesterday, my boss didn't li- hasn't liked me since I've been there. He, sent, he got this thing ready and sent some of them all for a two-day teaching. Let them study a book, get a certification in a certain area that I'm trained in. I wasn't invited to go. He don't want that on my resume. But I've got one thing to tell him. God's got a resume for me. God's got a resume. I'm not tooting my horn. He's got a resume for you. He's wrote something somewhere in the annals of time that says... Steve is called to do this. No man's going to stop him. I've got a plan. If he'll just surrender and come find me and pick up his cross, all of hell can't come against him and stop it. So I walked in on a room of two guys the other day, and it got real quiet. I said, what's going on? I said, you were talking. Either something you don't want me to hear or you're talking about me. Yeah, we were talking about you. I said, what'd you say? So-and-so don't like you. I said, why why we got to talk about this? We're tearing down ceiling grid. I'm laying block over here. Why you got to talk about this? Well, you know, we just rap every now and then. Take a little break, and we rap, and that's what we do. I said, yeah, I know. And we want, we're, just, we're just hoping you, you'd become a boss. We just hope you get promoted here. I said, why? A lot of them getting fired. He said, yeah, but you bring something. This guy is rough. This guy is just talks rough. He lives rough. He's just, he's not scared to tell you anything he does. He's one of the most open people that I've seen. And uh, talk about the gospel. Make a long story short. They said, you know so-and-so doesn't like you, and that's why you weren't invited, we think, to go to that training. You know how people do. They gossip and talk like crazy. I said, man, I can't help that, dude. I can't help that. I said, let's just end this now. I said, God has a plan for my life, he's got a plan for your life. And no man, woman, and aliens can stop it. <laughs> Getting up earlier, I listen to 6, 10 a.m. Be careful about listening to that before 5 o'clock, man. Then people, I mean, whoa. Okay, so we start back here in Ezra chapter 3. I want you to find your place today. Bottom line, I want you to find out where you're at, what God has called you to. And I want you to come alive in it. This church building should lack for nothing. Now, when I went to Bible college, let me tell you what would happen. They, they do this kind of preaching. This church building shouldn't lack for anything. We've got electricians, roofers, painters, carpet layers in here. And then, then afterwards, they'd have this sign-up booth of every little ministry in the back. And just you'd feel guilty as heck if you didn't sign up for something and begin to volunteer. But you'll see in this story... People did not hesitate to take at hand the task God called them to. The history of this in Daniel 5, it's this uh, Ezra from 1 to 3 basically is the preparation, is God 
he said it before in other books of the Bible, but it's Cyrus, King Cyrus, repeating what God had called him to do to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem once the people were brought out of captivity and, uh, and they rebuilt it. And we're going to cover part of it. So uh, back in Daniel 5, you would read of a drunken feast that King Belshazzar had. He uh, preceded uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they were, uh, at that time, they were still holding the children of Israel, God's people, in captivity and slavery. There was writing. You remember the story about the writing on the wall in Daniel 5? He said he saw it by a man's hand, and it said, Many, many tinkle, you parson. Basically, it was saying this. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. He was telling Belshazzar this while God's people were in captivity. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That night, Belshazzar and the Chaldeans were slain by the hands of King Darius the Mede and King Cyrus of Persia. And as such, it led to the freeing of God's people and the children of Israel. So that, that takes us back. That brings us to chapter 1 of Ezra. I like this. Let me read a little bit of chapter 1. I can remember where I was in my second year of Bible college when God, uh, without naming this place, told me to come here. I had went back to Bible college for my second year. Why? To get that two-year certificate they gave away. Not give away, but you would get. It was just the right thing to do. I had no funding. My first year was all paid for. When I kind of let, let it out of the church, my first year was paid for. Somebody said, here, I'm paying for half your year. And somebody else said, here, I'm paying for half your year. I would go home every weekend and lead worship, and I would go back with 100 200 some dollars in my pocket and a box full of food. My shirts ironed. My suits cleaned. I was a spoiled brat my first year of college, and I lived the lap of luxury. I was dressed the best. Because, not because of me, but because there were people in the body of Christ that found their part. And they played it. They didn't wait for somebody else to do it. God prompted Brian to give a young boy, I wasn't too young, uh, some money for Bible college. Brian just did it. Mamaw loved nothing better than to cook and do my clothes. She would do my shirts for all week. I'd have a brand new shirt to put on every week. And she'd even make me a spare in case I, in case I spilt something on one of them and had to go back and change. And she made me a box of food that overflowed our refrigerator. So I had to share my food with somebody else so I could just get my stuff in there for the week. I would have a cooler with extra things in there. We ate like kings. Why? Because somebody in the body played their part. The Bible says that God adds to the church daily such as needed. You're not called to be here and to sit and do nothing. That's not what God's called you to do. Now in the first year, Ezra 1, first year King Cyrus, I like this guy a lot, man. That the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up, I won't read my notes, there's no way I will, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. I remember one time Eric called me in for a meeting back here in his office. Everybody was all like, <gasps> God. So that day at work, I was praying, God, I don't know what I would. I'm not used to talking to a father figure. You know that. I didn't grow up with a dad, so I'm not used to men sitting me down and talking to me in private. Immediately, a shield goes up, and my weapons come out, and I get very defensive. I trust women a lot more than I trust men. And uh, that's fading, uh, not because of women, but God has been changing me. But he called me to a meeting, and I wrote down five things that I hope we covered in that meeting. I said, I don't know what he's got to talk about, but I've got some things to talk about. We, we just didn't always have enough time to get together and talk about things. And I wrote down five things. At the end of that meeting, I said, Eric, I want to show you something. He said, what? I said, I, I kind of reiterated, I really believed being called to be here and us working together is what we were supposed to do. And I showed him a letter. I showed him this little scratch paper I had at work and kept in my pocket all day, and I'd get a thought, and I'd write it down. 
I said there were five things on here I hope we talked about today, and we talked about four of them. He just looked at me real funny. I said, I think we're both in tune with what's going on here. And I said, you know, I think that's great. That's, and we talked about the fifth thing. So it's very important writing something down. I can say something to you, but if I write it, it's a whole different ordeal. Uh, there's been times I've had meetings with people and I've wrote down what they said, so I go away and remember it the way they said it. Uh, thus says King, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, verse 2. He's, he's going to make this proclamation of what God's called him to. All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has been given to me, and he has commanded me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord. God of Israel. He is God which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of this place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of the Lord. A little bit about King Cyrus. Another name they used for him, Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia. Some of his meanings of his name would be God's shepherd, his anointed, his anointed his name in persia means sun like the sun has shined down like the scripture that says that we are a city set upon a hill that shall not be hidden like like the scripture that talks about that we are the light of the world and who who are we to put our light under a bushel people worry about this world growing darker and all the news shut it off shut it off shut it off and do one thing vote just shut it off stay informed as much as you need to stay and vote get in god's word you know what i don't get this is my bible today i don't get discouraged when i stay right here i don't this is what we live and we die by right here He was called the deliverer of God's people in Isaiah 44, 28, 45, and 1. Uh, he allowed the Jewish captives to return to their homeland in Jerusalem after he led the Persians to become the dominant nation in the ancient world when they defeated Belshazzar. Within 20 years after becoming king of Persia, Cyrus had conquered the Medes, the Lydians, and the Babylonians. Second Chronicles 36, 23 says this. You just go up a little bit if you have a computer. Or turn the page, maybe. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord of God has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up. Then it goes on to talk about here, there's a preparation. They begin to make preparations for the building, for the building of the temple. That's the time that Christians don't like. That's the time we do not like. But Cyrus had a word from the Lord. He had an assignment. He had a calling. He had a job that he must fulfill. He didn't pass it off to somebody else. I could give you a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament, and I, I, my family knows it, and I tease about it, where God called certain people. Like when they offered up Isaac. And people, they took at hand their job themselves, wasn't passed on. He made sure that it happened. Cyrus made sure that it happened. He said in verse 1-1, this is what I like, and men, this is what you need. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Silas. And then it said, and Silas began to move on down. Verse 5, the other day I asked myself, I said, God, am I really called to preach to, to a congregation? Maybe just men. I act like an idiot at times. Men love it. They like something crazy. I mean, there's literally, uh, in verse 5, talking to you men, then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites. I put this in bold. With all whose spirit God has moved, they arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Cyrus, he gathered up some 40, 5,400 pieces of gold and silver, that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple when they destroyed it and led the people captive the first time. He had gathered them up. He made sure they were taken care of. In verse 4, Cyrus wanted them to make sure that they would take these pieces 
and take their livestock and their goods and a free will offering. He said in verse 4, read this. And whoever is left in any place, talking about making preparations for this, Cyrus said, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of this place help him with. Men, you're called to build. I'm calling you to bring this, your silver, your gold, your goods, your livestock. And on top of that, I need you to get down in your wallet and get a free will offering out. If I was, does that make you comfortable for me to say that? This task they were taking on was that serious. God gave the words to King Cyrus. He didn't buckle. He didn't say just bring a little bit. Just give your tithe and it's going to be all right. We'll accomplish this task. We'll build this church if you just, just, just give a little. No. King Cyrus said, told him what God told him to do. To bring his silver, his gold, his goods, his livestock. And on top of that, give a free will offering. Money is a touchy subject. Don't mess with my money. He said he wanted them to give, in verse 4, that stuff. And it said to encourage them. What if I said, give more than you've ever given? I want you to literally give. I don't want you to bring what you brought at Hoarders. I don't want that. I want you to take that extra car. I want you to take that boat. I want you to take anything that you don't need that's extra, that you're really not using much, something that you may be using but you need to sacrifice anyways, I want you to give it. remember one time at World Harvest, I went up there, showed up Sunday night. We had time. We had to be back to school in the dorms, and I don't remember what time it was, but I came in. Church was still going on. It was like 10 o'clock. I said, what the heck is going on? I didn't go to church there much because I always drove home to my church and, and, and that I was leading worship at. And I went in there, and pe- there were TVs. I seen people come in. You know, well, these people are wealthy. This thing rolled out there with, looked like a jeweler had brought in all that they owned. But it was people's private gold and silver collections. I seen gun collections brought in. I seen some I seen car titles signed over, motorhomes given away. People just gave. I don't know, it was part of their service, part of, they felt led, whatever. I was like, wow. But bottom line, that is what God's called us to. He blesses us to bless somebody. We had that talk yesterday with some leaders here at church. One of them shared that they're, they're, they, they don't like the thought that Christians shouldn't be blessed because we should live with nothing. And I admitted that I've been blessed the longer I've been saved, that I've been blessed more and more, and I struggle with that because I feel as if I deserve less and less, and I should give more and more away. It is a huge struggle for me. Would it encourage you if I told you to give away Would it encourage you if I was like King Cyrus? And I said, you've come here today to commit yourselves to the work here, and I want you to give. I want your silver and gold. I want your retirement funds. I want you to come, and I want you to sit and wait until I call for you. Basically, this story is this. I'll wrap up real quick because I've got a lot more to go. Basically, this story is this. They were called to do this. They were told where it was at, where it was going to be built. All these people were called. Do you realize there was four? It wound up if they took the number. If you read in chapter 2, it came around 42,000 people. If you look at chapter 2, it's kind of like a genealogy, but but it's not. It lists everybody there. You know the smallest group? 42,000 people had gathered in their own cities surrounding Jerusalem. Preparing to build that. If you were a prisoner, had been a prisoner for 70 years, and you were freed, could you do that? Could you not worry about yourself or what you have? But over the next couple years or whatever, could you go to prepare yourselves to do the work of the Lord? Preaching to myself today. What if I pulled out a large sum of money and I said, here, I want to encourage you with this money. 
what would you put that money forth to do with? Would it be an encouragement to you or would it be, oh, he'd give it to you, Mary. You better hope I'll pull out some money. So um, these people were waiting. They were waiting till at time uh, in chapter 3, worship, 42,000 people had come. From what they can study, that's double the amount of people that were taken into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar. I like what one commentary said right here. If I find it. This was more than double the number that were carried away captive into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. So that as in Egypt, the time of their affliction was the time of their increase. In your time of preparation, you may feel afflicted. You may be tired of waiting. I'm sick of it. Let let me encourage you in one thing. God is doing something. You better allow him to do it. You better not allow your mouth to run you off of it. You better set back for a minute, like the song we said, so we lay down our, our calls, so we lay down our, my thing, me, my four, what I believe I'm supposed to do and shine in, but I've been in this time of affliction and it's not taking place and I'm not happy. At one time I thought I'd be Jimmy Swaggart. I thought I would have two semis that would carry my stuff. I'm not lying to you. And I believe that I was going to have an entourage of people that I could just bless that want to do the work of the Lord. We were going to travel all over the world. And we were going to preach this gospel for one reason. God had delivered such a wretch, such a terrible person as I was. That quick, and it can happen to anybody. I talked to somebody the other day that I love, probably be here second service. I don't know why it doesn't happen for me like it happened to you. I said, you still want it. You still like your old lifestyle. All your friends have ran off. You think you have the ability to do it on your own. You have no, none of those friends are left because you've kind of quit. You've kind of played church, but you still want it. This person told me, said, you're right. You're dead right. God doesn't want that. We can't have our cake and eat it too. It's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. You'll suffer, you'll be lost, you'll be terrible, you'll be miserable. For God's sake, if you do anything, do one thing. Hit your knees. When you're in this time of affliction, if you say, I'm not afflicted, coming to church and just doing this on Sunday is fine with me and leave me alone. I'm going to encourage you in one thing. Hit your knees. Make sure that you've worked it out in fear and trembling. Make sure that that's what God has called you to do. Because you will be miserable and one day you'll stand before him and your crown might not have much in it. And for a moment, you'll be set back. I believe something's going to play for you in your mind, this intelligent brain God's given us, and you're going to realize what you didn't do. But in the time of your affliction is the time that things will double. In the waiting time, in the preparation time, let me tell you, the bigger you're building, I used to think, my gosh, it's going to take two semis. I was adding up everything it's going to take to haul all this stuff. You know, I thought, man, these guys on TBN don't have nothing on what's going to happen with me. It's going to be awesome. Because I, and it was for one reason, I thought, you know what? I know a lot of money comes through these people's hands. They get, they get on in public a lot like Billy Graham does, and I want that, and I think I can handle all that. I think I can really be a great voice for God and handle it. I think I can surround myself with men that won't let me get off the left or right, won't let my pride get too puffed up. They'll stick a pin in it. I'm going to place people around me that that as as this money comes in and as we get events, they help me decide, should we go here, should we go there? I'm going to have people with me that are going to really pray and find out that we're going to the right place because this nation, I want to be part of helping to set this nation free. I said, God, if you can do it for Benny Hinn, you can do it for whoever. I named people at that time. I haven't watched TBN in 10 years. I thought, you can do it for me. You can just do that. And here I am in Kingston, Ohio. And... uh, But I love it because I am reassured that I'm right where God wants me to because there was a fence post up there in Canal Winchester that I stopped beside, a plastic fence post like at Phil Crosby's, and I pulled over the side of the road in tears, and God said, I didn't tell you to come up here the second year. You're going down a path that I didn't lead you down. Two cars have broke down, and you have no money and can't afford it for one reason. I didn't call you here. I'm trying to get your attention. Turn away, turn away. And all I could feel was this weight on me. He said, if you'll follow me, it'll be like this. And it lifted up. 
He said, go and find them. There's a neighborhood. There's a city. There's a town. There's a creed. There's a color. There's a kind. There's something that I've called you to. There's a place I've called you to. This is not it. And I wound up right here. And I believe it with all my heart. Let me tell you, in this time of affliction, you've been waiting long. You've been thinking you're suffering over your little ordeal. Your shout's not coming. Reassure you of this. They lay a foundation here in chapter 3 is what they do, and they shout like nobody's ever shouted. They lay a foundation. Let me reassure you this. Your time of affliction, if that's what it is, you've been waiting and it's not happening. My spouse hasn't come yet. My job, whatever it is, the bigger your building, the deeper your ditches. It's just bottom line. That's the way it is. The bigger the buildings I ever built, if you'd have seen at Ohio State, when we built an uh, engineering building, if you'd have seen how deep in the ground that was, I would have loved to have gone to uh, New York and seen uh, those buildings to see how deep of a hole that was, just because I'm a builder guy. Bigger your building, the deeper your ditches. You may be in a time of preparation longer than you want, but God may have something bigger for you planned than you figured out. You might wind up the best mother you could have ever imagined. You've had to wait, but you might wind out up being much better than God had, than you had planned for yourself. And being a mother is as important as pastoring a mega church. Worship was restored. Gathering together as one man in chapter 3 and verse 1. I love that. Chapter 3, verse 1 said and when the seventh month had come and the children of israel were in the cities the people gathered together as one man to jerusalem it's important in a company of people like this for us to find our part and to stay in it say rick listen 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 man you're an usher okay you're not the pastor quit trying to tell aaron how he needs to do it just just get back man you're 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 beating a dead horse and you're getting us off track you know what i mean brian just keep leading your men's group here Leave the van ministry alone, bro. I know you sell cars. That's great. And I know you hooked us up with that van, but quit driving that van. One preacher said it this way. Rod Parsley did during Dominion Camp Meeting. He said, if you're singing on the platform during Dominion Camp Meeting, and you're just singing, but if the will of God is for you to be in the nursery changing dirty diapers, then for God's sake, get in the nursery and change dirty diapers. So when you're in it, tears can flow down your face. And you know that you make God happy. The smallest group, when you read chapter 2, I'll stop here. The smallest group will talk to you people that do menial tasks. Of all those people that were named and it wound up 42,000, the smallest group were the Levites. In chapter 3, who was put in charge of building God's temple? The Levites. What was there, 74, something like that? The smallest group, 200 singers. Oh, there always won't be a lot of singers. Oh, yeah, always won't be a lot of singers, people on the platform. Singers had an important part in this if you study it. These people come out of slavery. These people were known to mourn, to be very upset people, not to be very proud, to have the promises of God on the inside of them, but not to be able to live it out for being in slavery. Some of us don't realize that we have the promises of God and we live in slavery to this world. I thought about doing something today. I thought about asking you to hold up your cell phone. Don't do it. Hold up your cell phones, then ask you to hold your Bible up and ask you which one goes with you in more places. Which one do you spend more time on? And then you talk about your life not having something that shouts. I'm not here... Let me tell you, I've lived a life of Laodicea at different seasons in my life. And my spiritual walk stunk. It was going nowhere. It just happens. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. It's not your fault. Let me shed some grace on your deal. It's not your fault. You have an enemy that wants to destroy you. But when you really believe that the Word of God, it's in Him we live, we move, we have our being. It didn't say it's in your iPod, it's on your Facebook, 
Some of the best things you could do is just get rid of that. Oh, it's great that you have them, and it's great. It's a great tool. I would like to know how many people on Facebook really have much better friends now that they've done Facebook. Uh, some of the stuff I hear that's put on there is just that that place is not made for some of that. You've been in me. Go ahead and stand. You've been in menial tasks. I'm just an usher. All I do is help people find their seat, and people don't always like it when I ask them to sit here. All I do is clean up. Can I say one thing, not in pride? Paul, I know I kind of said this a couple Sundays ago. I do feel like I live a life that shouts. That's not a prideful thought. That's a comforting thought because I believe... At this time of my life, I'm really on track with what God wants. It's not because of things I do. It's because what's on the inside of me, what moves me, what I want God to move me in. He can't fix your outside until he fixes your inside. I believe I'm starting into a time of my life that's really beginning to shout, and it's just going to get greater. I want you to be there too. I want you to go along with me. I want this church to do that. But I can remember when I first got saved, and my life was, I mean, just miraculously changed just in a moment. And it lasted day after day. And I lived in God's presence day after day. And somewhere along the line, it went away. But I can remember when I was living on that cloud nine going to jail, turning myself in because I had warrants for my arrest. And I didn't care if they put handcuffs on me. I was living on cloud nine in jail. I was loving it. I was on house arrest after that. Couldn't work because I'd had surgery done. And I was loving life. I had nothing, and I loved life because I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do. If you'll find that today, you'll live just like that. You may think your life, but at that time in church, I can remember they'd have the ladies pray over here and the men pray over here. That's the way they did it. They weren't, uh, whatever, they, they weren't men, women haters. It's just the way they did. The women talked about quilting and cooking, and the men talked for a little bit while some music played, and they took prayer requests. It's just the way the old-timers did it. And, uh, uh, but I remember standing there and singing a song. Oh, it just escaped me. And I would cry and I would ask God, no matter what I had to do, that I wanted to do something for the work of the Lord. Jesus, use me. Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. I would stand there as they would sing that and I would cry. And I would cry, and I would cry. I remember singing in bars and people getting excited. I remember them tying down lead singers to the seat. They didn't want him to sing anymore. They wanted me to sing. And I remember loving it, thought that's what I was called to, but thinking the devil gave me that. Then I can remember something changed, a shift happened, and God began to use that in the work of the ministry. Let me tell you, God has gifted you. He's called you. He's, you have something he needs, and he gave it to you. And he just wants you, Thomas, you can just play something. He just wants you to offer it back to him today. You may feel like your task is very menial. All I do is turn the sound system on to talk to the worship team today. All I do is turn the sound system on. All I do is monitor the camera. All I do is work the sound. It's all part of what takes place here. But one day you may be called to be like the Levites. And be part of the smallest group of the crowd to make one of the greatest impacts. You may feel like in your workplace, in your social gathering, that you are the smallest of all. You're the most put out. You're the least liked. You're the ugliest. You're the least built. Your education is by far less than anyone else. God may have a place for you right next to some unsaved millionaires close I believe ooh, I'd love to say this but I'm scared I, I would love to believe that I'm in a place right now that I'm real close to some millionaires not because of money but because they love it 
And I know when the love of Christ is shed abroad in their hearts one day that I, I don't want them to die lost in that. I don't want their money. I don't want their money. It's not about that. It's because they love that. But I believe I'm in a place that could lead this person to know Christ. And I say, God, I'm scared. They're not like me. They're different. But if I get one chance to get in on this, I want in on it. God's got you right in a place that you may be closer than you think to making a great impact for the kingdom of God. Don't run from it. Your child may be the next Billy Graham. Pour your life into your child. Amen. All we need to do is just to come. I'm not asking you to come. It's time's up. But just to get at his feet and just to surrender your thoughts, your plans, your calls, your Facebook, your text, your tweet, your internet, your phone, your sporting events. And pick up the word of God. And begin to allow him to change your life in a great way. That you may go from a whisper to a shout. How many of you want that more than anything? Let's pray. Amen. Give him a hand clap if you want to. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this day, for your goodness, for your word, for your life-changing word. Change my life today, God. May I leave this place changed. May I be convicted. May I wake from my sleep. May I be like the dry bones in the valley that become awake. May I allow you to be Lord of my life. May I bring my gold, my silver, my goods, my livestock. And may I give a free will offering to you today, God. May I be part of building your kingdom the way you desire. May I have a shout that you've caused me to have. In your name we pray, Lord.